listen, if you dare, to this Sundown 96.6 presentation. Open your eyes and look into the darkness. Something strange is moving. Something grave and sinister. Something paranormal. Something ghostly. That sends shivers down your spine. It is children with cult class with your house, Caitlin. NASA held its first public meeting on UFOs, which, by the way, are now called officially uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. This is a year after launching a study into unexplained sightings. And now tonight, a worldwide TV exclusive you will only see right here on News Nation. Bombshell claims from a military whistleblower published just this morning, alleging a secret UFO retrieval program within the U.S. government. David Grush, an Air Force veteran, former member of that task force and veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, now formally blowing the whistle on secrets he says no one has ever shared publicly before. He is speaking one-on-one -on -one with investigative reporter Ross Coldhart, reporting for News Nation. When you say crash retrieval, what do you mean? Uh, these are retrieving non-human origin uh, technical vehicles, you know, call it spacecraft if you will. Uh, it's probably not the right parlance, but uh, no kidding, non-human, exotic origin, vehicles that have either landed or crashed. We have spacecraft from another species. We do, yeah. How many? Quite a number. All right, tune into Vargas tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, a worldwide TV exclusive you will only see on News Nation. Thank you for watching. Go to NewsNationNow.com to find News Nation on your television provider. And don't forget to click the red subscribe button below to get more of News Nation's fact-driven, unbiased coverage. Welcome to Chillin' with Cult Class. My name's Caitlin, and this is where we talk about everything spooky, strange, and unexplained. Okay, so we have our first eggs. We have our first eggs. I told you last week I had a feeling that it was coming soon, and it happened. I could not be more excited. I'm, like, so proud. <laughs> Nick watches these chickens, like, every day now. Like, they're going up in the coop. They're going up in the coop. <laughs> are they going to lay another egg? Oh, it's definitely been, like, a labor of love getting them you know, a place to where they're safe and feeling comfortable and, you know, giving them everything that they need. And it's like such a payoff. Totally. It's such a payoff. And we, we even fried up a couple eggs and they were so delicious. Oh my gosh, what a difference. What a difference. And um, for anybody who maybe didn't listen to our last episode, we have chickens and we've been raising these chickens and we've never raised chickens before. And we've been waiting, they're all hens, for them to lay eggs. They're supposed to lay eggs. And uh, we just watch and watch and wait and wait and feed them. And so we finally, they're finally just laying eggs daily now, it seems. A few of them a few at least. Of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, which is so exciting. So more to come. Yeah, we said, I mean, we told everybody, just like I said last episode, we told everybody who would listen 
the the second that it happened. Oh yeah, we put we put up put it out to the press. We we're so excited. <laughs> yeah, Nick came. I was in the house and I heard Nick in the other room come running in. Eggs, eggs, and I was like, "What is he saying?" And all I heard was like, "Eggs, there are eggs." Oh my gosh! Bursting into the house. I have the biggest smile on my face right now just thinking about it. It was so so fun. He is grinning from ear to ear. So we're so we're so excited about that and. Uh, we joked several episodes ago when we got Ripley, our cat, that she would be our pest control. <laughs> yeah. And she is now like slaying mice for us because we live way out in the woods and we have a lot of pests and uh, predators and different animals like we talk about every episode. And so Ripley is keeping our house pest free. Yep, yep. She presented a little gift the other day. Officially. uh, I guess is a thing with cats. This is new to me. So, uh, yeah, she's doing a great job. I couldn't be more proud. we got to get her a little vest and a hat. (laughs) Say pest control or something. Employee of the month. Employee of the month. She's doing such a good job. So, (laughs) we got so much going on here. Otherwise, we've been watching Manifest because I feel dedicated to this show. I, I started watching the show weekly a few years ago. It has very, it's very reminiscent of Lost. I don't think you ever watched Lost. I never watched Lost, okay. but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's the same kind of ride where okay. you're like, tie this up. <laughs> Just like, finish it. What is going on? There's mythology and all this stuff. Although Lost was it its own thing. I feel like Lost with the, was the original Lost kind of thing. But this show, I'm just like, oh gosh, like just get through it. Lost, we thought there would be a payoff. Yeah. Then you watch all of Lost and there's not really a massive payoff. So you're like, I'm just beat down by it. I'm yeah. beat down by these mythological shows. And <sighs> I know, me too. It seems like every episode, we don't get a step closer to finishing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Nick, we have to finish this. He's like, do we have to finish this? And I'm like, no, I have to know what is going on in the divine consciousness. Oh That's what they call it in the show. And they're all angels or something. I don't know. We haven't finished it yet. If you guys have been watching it and you have opinions on this, please message me. You can always DM chillinwithcult.class on Instagram. I did run a poll on my my own Instagram, cult.class. That's where I post all my art and everything. And if this show was, if people were watching the show, or if they had given up, yeah. and actually the majority of people said they gave up. So, really? <laughs> yeah, I didn't even tell you that. So we're uh, get we're getting through it, but otherwise, yeah, that's pretty much where we're at in our lives. Summertime. I hope you guys are having a great summer. Totally. Well, what about this? Um, we're up in Connecticut. This big uh, smoke from Canada, like. terrorizing the northeast it looks like okay um my friends in new york city in new york state sent me photos and it looks like they're living in a zombie apocalypse and we we in connecticut it mildly looks like a zombie oh yeah very mild compared i thought it was just foggy out i'm like why is it foggy but sunny i was so confused i don't know yeah even like we were talking about it yesterday but like days ago when it was coming our way you could like smell and taste it and you're like oh it's like a fire and I was really convinced that there wasn't that you know like this has all you know come our way and I really think that we've been experiencing it for like five days or something I know I know and the people in New York and in these other places their sky is like literally orange and yellow it's wild yeah twice as bad it's crazy looking so that's all that we got going on but anyway all right Let's jump into this episode 
And because we have some big, I think the biggest UFO news in a long time. This week, News Nation shared a bombshell story that a military whistleblower claims that the United States has a UFO retrieval program. And not only that, but the Air Force veteran David Grush claims the government is covering up UFOs. He claims he has seen evidence of a secret crash retrieval program, and he alleges that the U.S. has even retrieved bodies from other species. This news has been everywhere that I have seen. I mean, every paranormal, interested person, account, podcast, news source has been sharing this interview with this military whistleblower. And if you watch it, it's really just mind boggling. I don't know if I should be skeptical or if this is legit. I mean, of course we have Bob Lazar and all these people who have claimed that we've been reverse engineering UFOs for several years now, but I thought I would reach out to my friend Ryan um, to see what his take is on this news. Hey, Caitlin, it is Ryan Sprague from Somewhere in the Skies and Ancient Aliens, and just wanted to give my two cents on this recent bombshell article from The Debrief, a company I have the immense pleasure of working with. Uh, This article has been in the works for a very long time, um, vetting sources, fact-checking, and doing responsible journalism before publishing by the authors of the article and The Debrief as well. So this wasn't just thrown together and put out there. A lot of time, work, effort, and resources went into this, and I think it speaks for itself. I mean, Leslie Kane and Ralph Blumenthal, the the authors of this article, are best known for their work on the 2017 New York Times article that completely changed the entire UFO conversation, and now they're back with another bombshell. So basically, you have a former defense intelligence whistleblower, David Grush, who claims that the intelligence community is hiding classified evidence of what he quotes as intact and partially intact craft of non-human origin. I mean, uh, I don't think we could spell it out any clearer. We're talking about UFO crash retrieval. Uh, We're talking about craft from unknown origin did not come from earth so make of that what you will it's it's pretty big um you know the other things that really stood out to me with this is that this guy has over 20 years in the military and in intelligence and not only that he swore under oath to both congress and and his superiors that uh, the Inspector General, I should be more clear, uh, that this is real. There are programs uh, in and out of the United States government that have retrieved UFOs and have possibly reverse engineered the technology within those. 
and he swore this under oath. So if he's lying, if he's making this up, there are consequences for this. So he risked a lot. Mr. Grush did. So uh, I, I do find that very credible in terms of him coming forward. Uh, you know, there are no documents that we can see of this. There are no photos. There are no videos. We do have this one man's word for it. So, again, make of that what you will. But he does have a lot to lose by coming forward with this, both for his reputation and also, you know, he could be charged as a criminal for, for lying, lying about this. So that's interesting to you. Um, so I think it's amazing. Uh, I think we've only begun to hear the story. It's developing, and I think this will empower more whistleblowers to come forward. And hopefully within the next year or two, we'll learn more about these UFO crash retrieval programs. And uh, this is only the beginning. Buckle up. It's going to be a very interesting ride in the UFO world. Now, please stand by for your Paranormal News of the Week. Your Paranormal News of the Week comes from 95.7 KEZJ out of Idaho. Idaho may have its first legitimate Bigfoot sighting of 2023. A hiker has shared footage of what appears to be a large-sized, dark object trying to stay out of view behind some branches in a wooden area of the state. Could an Ohio hiker actually have recorded the elusive, bipedal creature known as Bigfoot while on a recent trek in the Gem State backcountry? Common sense says it's not likely, but then again, most of us didn't think aliens really existed until the recent military acknowledgement. A new video has been uploaded to YouTube under the channel name That's The Truth 7489 and shows something very interesting. Although the camera angle doesn't show definitive proof of anything other than an object moving solely behind the branches and brush, it does appear to have captured something large that didn't want to make itself known. It might very well be just a deer, a bear, or some other animal, but the individual who recorded the footage has identified it as Bigfoot. When the night falls, when the shadows become deep and black, the silent pall of evil settles on the earth. Who dares to search? Who dares to see what walks in the night? If you dare, welcome to Sundown 96.6 FM. Sundown966.com for more details and merch. <laughs> well, when there are scary things we don't understand, our minds try to fill in the blanks. Sometimes the best thing to do is to face it. So this light is going to be completely solid like it is right now. Then gradually, 
it's going to start flashing until it's totally dark. So you can see that there's nothing to be afraid of. Okay? See? That's not so scary, is it? Just you, your sister, and me. You're doing okay. It's not for you. It's okay. just in your head. You need to grow up! I'm serious, Sawyer! I need to be alone! You're both having these manifestations. What is this supposed to be? It's the thing that comes for your kids when you're not paying attention. to me okay i'm listening <laughs> sweetheart let me handle it. Our movie club pick for last week was The Boogeyman from 2023, and it was just so fun to go to the theater and see this movie and see a scary movie. I really enjoyed the film. I'm also partial to Stephen King, so, you know, I kind of think anything he almost does is great, so I'm definitely a biased critic, um, (laughs) if I want to call myself a critic. But I really, really enjoyed it, and I actually, as a little research for the podcast, read the short story that this movie is based on right before seeing the film. So I'll tell you about that in a second, Nick. But what did you think? Well, I am just like you, and I love the movie theater. Uh, The theater has been, like, such a big part in our relationship for for so many years. You know, we did the movie pass thing. We did the AMC uh, membership thing. Uh, So we just... I love the movie theater. It's just so fun. So So seeing this film specifically was awesome it 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 was very scary to me <laughs> the whole time i was like you know cringing my like whole body holding the the armrests like half watching during the the scary parts but i thought it was very scary yeah i'm with you on that it was a spooky creepy film it was very heavy on jump intention, like jump scares intention. Yes, loud, loud noises. Loud noises. Quick flashes. So much tension of just the whole atmosphere was presented really well. Right? Yeah. And so if you haven't seen this movie and you want to see this movie, 
Uh, we're going to talk about a few spoilers, so just skip ahead a few minutes. But I want to tell you about the short story Please. right now. So the short story, I read the short story, and it's very short. So they took a lot of liberties with this movie because it, they really built a whole storyline. There is no, There are no kids, there's no family in the movie. Um, I mean, in the short story, there's no... There's only the psychiatrist in Lester Billings. Oh, wow. Who is the guy who shows up at the psychiatrist's office to tell him about how his children have been killed by the boogeyman. In the short story, Lester shows up, and just like the movie, he shows up. And even some of the lines and words were straight from the short story in the beginning when Lester appears oh, in the wow. therapist's office. However, the therapist doesn't, as far as you know, have, like, you know... A family or anything in the short story. So you really don't get a background on the therapist. It's just all about Lester Billings. And side note, it takes place... Lester Billings is from Waterbury, Connecticut. Oh, wow. Yeah. Just up the road. Yeah. So that's kind of creepy and fun. And Waterbury happens to be the location of Holy Land, USA. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Super weird place. Anyway. So Lester comes into the therapist's office and he, just like the movie, tells him about how the boogeyman is killing his kids, or killed his kids. And he's a very dislikable character. Like, he's so rude in the short story about women, about... He's just, like, a chauvinist. Very... You get a lot more of his character than you do in the movie. Oh, wow. Did I say in the story he's a chauvinist? I meant to say in the sh- story he's a chauvinist. Totally. So you get a lot more of his character in the right, story. Right, right. So Lester tells the whole story to the therapist. The therapist says, you know what? You got to come back every week. And Lester's like, I'm just trying to tell you my story. Just like how in the movie, he's like, I'm just trying to tell my story. I don't, I can't go to a lawyer. I can't go to the cops. And in the short story, the therapist is like, you got to come back. So by the end, the therapist is like, go to my secretary and schedule another appointment. So Lester's like, oh, fine, whatever. So he leaves the office of the therapist and he goes to the secretary's desk right in front. And it says, it will be back in in a little while or something like that. There's a sign on her desk, you know how they... Like out to lunch. Yeah, out to lunch kind of thing. And Lester turns around and he's like, hey, doc, your secretary isn't here. And when he's turning around, he realizes that the boogeyman is the therapist. Or you realize that as a reader. Because it says the boogeyman removes his therapist mask. Harper is the name of the therapist. He removes his Harper mask and he attacks Lester Billings. So basically it plays on that. Like the movie took how it mimics people. Yes. And just like really went with it. But in the short story, the whole time Lester Billings is only talking to the boogeyman. Disguised as The the therapist. Wow. And so the movie takes that and runs with it and takes the character of Lester Billings in this whole story and runs with it. And the movie adds this whole, the context of the therapist having these children and his wife dying. And I think they did a really excellent job with taking a very short story and making it that whole movie. Yeah, feature film, right, totally. Yeah, but I I mean, the short story is really cool. It's in Night Shift, Stephen King's Night Shift. It's a series of short stories. Cool. Very different yeah. than the movie. Um, I thought the lead character in the film, I'm a sucker for badass like lead, leading ladies, so I thought that actress did an amazing job. Oh, she did a, a great job. Such a great job. 
that's that's really cool about the short story being like how much they changed it you know they kept like you said yeah. like a lot of things like the basis uh kept pretty true but how they built it out that's really cool yeah built it out that's a good way to say it the short story is probably only like gosh there's probably only like 10 pages or something wow, i mean it was really? very yeah oh wow uh i don't know exactly 14 maybe something like that so you know they they did a lot wow yeah i will yeah, I will say with the movie, and Nick and I, we talked about this last night on the way home, but, I mean, there are holes. It's a horror movie and there are holes. <laughs> it's What's a horror movie without a couple holes? <laughs> what's a horror sci-fi movie without a, a few holes and without things that make absolutely no sense? <laughs> so let's talk about a few of those. Yeah. So, in the beginning, Lester, he goes into the house, uh, aside from the book, I guess the difference from the short story, there is no secretary, the therapist yeah. is working out of his house. He goes in there unannounced. Uh, yeah, he just walks in this, this guy's house. Yeah, which drove me insane. Um, because the, if you're a therapist, you have like, I mean, if you're working out of your house, you likely in 2023 have some sort of security or at least lock your door, but also maybe cameras, maybe a ring. Whatever. Especially for that type of business. You know, you're dealing with yes. people who are, you know, going through when they need help. You yes. Know? So, he just walked in. That drove me insane. Side note for the listeners. Prior to Lester Billings walking into the therapist's house in the movie, the therapist's wife has died in a car accident. Yes. And so he is reeling from grief, and so are his two daughters. Yes. And so the, the family's already going through a tough time. Then this weirdo shows up. Yep, he shows up. He has this, like, fear of the closet. That's, like, where they, like, home the boogeyman in the movie. That is in the story, too. Is I it? meant to oh, mention cool. that, yes. So they, like, they, like, you presume the home of the boogeyman is in the closets of the dark, the darkness of the closet. So that, it all kind of unravels, and he goes in there, and he ends up, quote-unquote, you know, killing himself. And then... In their house. In, in the closet of the Within therapist's like office. Within, like, five minutes. Yeah. No, it was upstairs in the closet. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right. You're right. So you're right, right. he's talking to the therapist. The therapist's like, let me get a glass of water. And he reports this guy, which doesn't happen in the short story again. And while he, the therapist is on the phone, Lester goes up and hangs himself in a closet. I mean, it looks like he hangs himself. You later find out that the boogeyman, I guess, killed him. But so this guy now has killed himself in their home after their wife his wife and the mother away. of these two girls has also died. So these people are like, all this tragedy is just like surrounding yeah. them. Exactly. So then, talk about a hole, you know, a, a horror hole, we'll call it. That night, they just all go their separate ways in their rooms I know. and go to sleep. We like talked, nothing happened. We talked about this last week with Pope's Exorcist, but like, guys... I mean, come on. That's some if bad stuff. some scary person comes into your house and hangs themselves in your closet, like, a few hours prior to bedtime, <laughs> do you, when the cops and ambulance leaves, are like, all right, and, one, and the youngest girl in this movie, the kind of focal point who's getting terrorized by the boogeyman, is like maybe eight years old or something? Sure. It's like, do you just, are you like, okay, little Sarah or whatever, go to bed now. No. Alone. No. And, and the girl's like, I don't want to sleep alone. And they're like, just get over it. Yeah, go to bed. It's time for bed. Oh, my gosh. But, so that's just like, ugh. Come on. Go. If this ever happens, go to a hotel. 
Go to a friend's house. Go pitch a tent in the middle of the woods. Just get out of. Or sleep in the same room. You know, if you have kids, at the very least. uh, If you've ever watched a horror movie, if you have kids who are like, "Hey, there's a demon in my closet. There's a ghost in the hallway. I feel weird." Uh, Amityville Horror, one of the kids climbs on the roof and wants to jump off. She's like, the ghost is telling me to jump off. <laughs> if your kids are saying things like that, do not let them sleep alone. Pope's Exorcist, if your kid is possessed, oh don't just leave the kid for hours and hours to just hang out while you go take a nap. I mean, it's just, <laughs> like, silly with horror movies. And if you can accept these, like, holes, yes. story holes, and these kind of silly... Because even, like, this in this movie, the creature... It, it doesn't like the light, and so this lady is always lighting candles so right. that it doesn't come near. But then by the end, the creature just blows out the candles. Yeah, so you're like, yeah. oh, it could have just blown out the candles the all time. the time. <laughs> so if you're willing to dismiss all that, this movie is very good. Yes. And honestly, you kind of have to have that mindset with a lot of horror movies. Of so. course, of course. No, absolutely. And then we saw the creature. What did you think about the creature? Yeah, the creature was... I love the creature, except for, this is just a little nitpicky. I could have done without its hands coming out of its face or whatever, like the mini hands. Oh, yeah, the end that, right there. Yeah, I think that happens in the movie Malignant or something. Anyway, that was kind of weird, but I love the creature as a whole, like the four limbs and it's, oh, it's just so creepy looking. So creepy looking. Yeah, I thought they did a great job on the creature and then like really not revealing it until like the very end you yeah know? that's always like fun and they built it up really good sometimes they it's a big build up and it doesn't really deliver you know yes but it was it was super creepy it was super creepy it was great and i like that the lady so lester billings wife yes she's like i think this has been around forever like i love creatures like that that are like almost mythological or totally ancient creatures yes oh yeah what did she say about that she was like fire's been around for so long and this has been before or whatever because of the darkness that was really cool because of the darkness that was it i kind of wish they had done the history of the creature a little like i love it in scary movies or uh sci-fi movies and they're like what what is going on here and they go to the library or they start googling things totally and that does make it a little bit more fun yeah like it's connected to some ancient story or something yeah but No. no i like that a lot too in the short story, Lester Billings says, says something like, the creature is what we make it or imagine it to Ooh. be. And like the monsters that we imagine if we believe in them are real sort of thing. And so if you take that take on it, then there isn't really like a myth to it. It's totally. kind of what we we are afraid of as children. Right. And... Uh, but I always love a good origin story of a creature. That is always fun. Yeah, no, I like how they... It was almost exactly like kind of how you said that. It was... It preys on, like, the vulnerable and the scared. And, yeah, it, it, it makes sense now looking back at it how, like, the dad didn't see it early on or didn't present itself, I guess, to the dad. It was only... Uh, it was the the young daughter who was, mm-hmm. like, really going through it. And then it was the sister who finally saw it. And then at the end... You know, well, no, the, the dad ends up being the, the biggest victim. Exactly, yeah, because yeah, he was like really going through it, not wanting to like grieve his wife. Uh, so yeah, I like how how it kind of comes to be. You know. Yeah. Well, I think you know with Stephen King with it. This is very reminiscent of it. Totally. Yeah, and I think that children. I think Stephen King plays on this a lot, that, and we talk about this on this podcast. But children are much more open to. Um, 
you know, other things and yes. are more susceptible to other things. Maybe we, maybe we have like more open minds when we're children or something. But, something for sure. So I think this movie plays on that, but I, I really enjoyed it. I'm recording this after recording the episode because our friend and listener Sham just sent me his thoughts on the boogeyman. And I really wanted to share because Sham is awesome. He is also like a pro when it comes to horror movies. He's seen a lot of horror movies. He has really great opinions on them. And I really trust what he has to say. And I think he had a similar take as me and Nick, which was that we were pleasantly surprised by this film because I don't th- I don't know that it got great reviews by critics, though. We know how we feel about critics on this podcast. We don't really care. But I had low expectations, and it sounds like Sham did too, and was pleasantly surprised. Also, the scene that he references was my favorite scene in the movie when Sawyer gets her tooth pulled out. Hi, Caitlin. Um, hope you're keeping well and having a great day. I hadn't heard anything great about this so I was going in with like zero expectations but I left actually pretty satisfied because I didn't think it was a bad movie um, I f- didn't find it scary I think it had a couple of moments maybe right one of them being um, when the door slams open in Sawyer's room um, her closet door slams open and then I think the other one was um, when she was having her tooth pulled out um, which uh, which I found like a little bit like, okay, like these b- bits were pretty good. I really enjoyed it. I, I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a great theater watch too. Great theater watch. You know? Which is um, really fun. And, and the popcorn it, at the theater is just like better. It can't be beat. I can't be beat. I we would... slammed that popcorn. Jeez. Yeah, that was, that was some good popcorn. The people in front of us turned around at one point and I, I thought it was because we were being too loud, like <laughs> munching on popcorn. We were like... Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> yeah, we were... Well, Nick didn't think so. Nick thought that like they just didn't know we were there, but I was convinced that we were just slamming the popcorn yeah. so loudly that... Yeah. Well, providing a little bit of context, those two people and us two were the only people in the well, theater. True. <laughs> so... True. <laughs> true. Good but the popcorn it. was good. Yeah, it was delicious. So, yeah, highly recommend it. In theaters, when it comes to available to stream, yeah. check it out. It's a fun one. It's a fun one. This week's movie club pick is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1962. I have never seen this movie. Nick has never seen this movie. Um, I don't know if there are inappropriate scenes, so just take that as you will i don't i doubt that it's a family friendly film because it's a 1960s horror film but that's up to you guys that's my my <laughs> disclaimer on that we're now I've providing disclaimers yeah. Yeah. so whatever happened to baby jane from 1962 watch it before next week's episode thank you all so much for listening to this show we can't tell you how much we appreciate you If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, you can follow us on Instagram at chillinwithcult.class. And you can always follow my art on Instagram at cult.class. Thanks for listening. Finally tonight, the eclipse and the legend of what happened on a Kentucky farm are about to collide. Here's ABC's Clayton Sandell. Blink, and you might miss Kelly, Kentucky. 
But now a cosmic coincidence is putting this community of just 300 at the dark center of eclipse frenzy. It's all happening on the 62nd anniversary of the night in 1955 when aliens supposedly terrorized a family farmhouse. Geraldine Sutton Stith's father was there. It affected all of them. My Uncle JC couldn't even hold down a job after that. Um, and Dad, I mean, he didn't want to talk about it. Investigators never found any proof. One suggested the aliens arrived in a bottle of Kentucky moonshine. This week's scary story is about the phenomenon of little green men. I thought it would be an appropriate story considering all the news of recovering UFOs, UAPs, whatever they're called now, and with those UFOs, the idea that we've possibly recovered bodies from other worlds. This story is from History.com. How the little green men phenomenon began on a Kentucky farm. Why are aliens so often depicted as little green men with bulbous heads and oversized eyes? The mythology began in part on the night of August 21st, 1955, when a large extended farm family called the Suttons arrived breathlessly at the Hopkinsville police station in southwestern Kentucky. Their story of a terrifying siege by otherworldly beings would become one of the most detailed and baffling accounts of an alien close encounter on record. Notable for the large number of witnesses, nearly a dozen, the duration of the encounter, several hours, and the close proximity between the witnesses and creatures, sometimes just a few feet away, the incident quickly became regional and even national news. The alleged encounter occurred on the Sutton's farm in the tiny rural hamlet of Kelly, Kentucky, where the family lived in an unpainted three-room house without running water, telephone, radio, TV, or books. Of all the details of their story, the UFO landing and the appearance of small alien creatures, one fact is indisputable. When the eight adults and three children arrived at the nearby Hopkinsville, police station at about 11 p.m., they were genuinely terror-struck. These aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help, police chief Russell Greenwell later told investigators. What they do is reach for their guns. Yet here they were, women and children, hysterical, and one man with a pulse of 140 beats per minute measured by an investigator. According to the accounts given to the police, at about 7 p.m. on the hot Sunday evening, Sutton family friend Billy Ray Taylor was fetching water from the backyard well when he saw a silvery object, real bright with an exhaust all the colors of the rainbow. As he later recounted, it came silently toward the house, passed over it, stopped in the air, and then dropped straight to the ground. Taylor, 21, and his 18-year-old wife had come from Pennsylvania to visit Lucky Sutton with whom he had worked on a traveling carnival. The Suttons, 50-year-old widow and matriarch, Glennie Lankford, her two older sons and their wives, a brother-in-law and the widow's three younger children, 12, 10, and 7, did
didn't take Billy Ray seriously, laughing off his UFO account. An hour later, alerted by the dog's incessant barking, Lucky and Billy Ray went to the back door and made out a strange glow in the midst of which they spied a small humanoid creature. About three and a half feet tall, it had an oversized head, almost perfectly round, its arms extended almost to the ground, its hands had talons, and its oversized eyes glowed with yellowish light. The body gave off an eerie shimmer in the light of the night's new moon, as if made of silver metal. Terrified, the two men grabbed a 20-gauge shotgun and a 22 rifle and fired at the little man. Its hands now raised as if held up at gunpoint as it came toward the back door. They reported that it then did a flip, scrambled upright, and fled into the darkness. Shortly after, the men saw a similar creature appear in a side window and fired through the window screen. Still impervious to bullets, the little man again flipped, then disappeared. I went out in the hallway and crouched down next to Billy when I saw one approaching the door, Mrs. Langford told Isabel Davis, author of an extensive report called Close Encounter at Kelly and Others of 1955. It looked like a five-gallon gasoline can with a head on top and small legs. It was a shimmering bright metal like on my refrigerator. The drama escalated when Taylor stepped outside under the small overhanging roof and those behind him saw a claw-like hand reach down and touch his hair. The group screamed and pulled Taylor back while Lucky shot above the overhang and then at another similar creature in a nearby tree. It floated to the ground and then scurried into the woods. The Suttons moved inside and spent several hours listening for movements, hearing mostly occasional scratches on the roof. At 11 p.m., the whole group ran for the cars and hightailed it to Hopkinsville. After the local police chief called for backup, his team was joined at the Sutton Farm by state police, military police from nearby Fort Campbell, and a photographer. Their investigators found shell casings from the gunshots, but no other evidence. Neither could they find proof of heavy drinking. According to the Sutton matriarch, liquor was not allowed in the farmhouse. Once the police and others left, though, the creatures returned between 2.30 a.m. and daybreak. Mrs. Lankford said she saw one glowing repeatedly by her bedside window, its claw-like hand on the screen. In the following days, after radio stations and newspapers reported the incidents, hundreds of curiosity seekers descended on the farm often ridiculing the Suttons as ignorant or fraudulent. When no trespassing signs proved useless at discouraging them, the family tried charging admission. 50 cents for entering the grounds, $1 for information, $10 for taking pictures. After that, skeptics blasted them for trying to make a profit. As the Kelly story spread into the world, it took on a life of its own. The number of little men grew to a dozen or more, A few years later, the little metallic men were conflated with the Eastern Kentucky woman's report of a flying saucer and a six-foot-tall man in green, helping launch the myth of little green men. The day after the incident, police investigators returned to the farmhouse searching for evidence of a saucer landing, footprints, blood trails, or scratch marks on the roof. They found nothing. 
Bud Ledwith, a local radio station employee, interviewed the adult eyewitnesses and made drawings based on the accounts. He was impressed by their remarkable specificity and consistency, even though the men were away from the farmhouse all day, unable to coordinate with the others. While the incident eventually attracted the attention of the Air Force UFO Investigation Program, Project Blue Book, documents suggest that its team never officially pursued the matter. One of the most thorough investigations of the Kelly incident was undertaken in 1956 by ufologist Isabel Davis and published several decades later by the Center for UFO Studies, a group founded by astronomer Dr. J. Allen Hynek. That is your scary story for this week. I don't know if we'll meet little green men anytime soon, or if we'll see these recovered UFOs. But according to people I know in the UFO community, they do think there will be a lot more whistleblowers after the news this week of off-world craft being recovered by the United States government. It's all kind of scary (laughs) and kind of exciting and interesting news and the idea of these little green men in this case they're metallic but creating this mythology attacking a farmhouse is pretty scary it reminds me of the movie signs but it certainly leaves us with something to think about especially after this whistleblower claims that the government has also recovered extraterrestrial bodies who knows maybe one day we'll find out maybe not in the meantime Watch this week's movie club pick, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, from 1962. We'll talk about it next week. Thanks so much for chilling with us, and we'll see you next Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard.
This has been a Sundown 96.6 FM production.